Welcome to the Rebel Groundbreakers podcast, where we aim to inspire, motivate, and create future Rebel Groundbreakers. On this podcast, we discuss topics with UNLV students, alumni, and community leaders to provide listeners with knowledge and resources to succeed. Yeah, so how do you feel like right now with everything going on? Um, it's chaotic. Yeah. Um, the hospitals are overwhelmed. They're over, they're understaffed. Um, so it makes it challenging on us. Um, when we get a call um, for somebody experiencing the COVID-19 symptoms, we are, uh, it's basically, uh, we make that decision for them. We're like, they ask us, do you, do you think I should go to the hospital? Because right. if they don't have it, and then they go to the hospital, they can catch it. Right. Um, but if they do have it, they can spread it to other healthcare workers, other patients. So it's really, it's really tough to make that decision yeah. um, for some of these patients. And then you kind of feel like you're almost putting yourself in danger. Like, how does that work? Um, so we get the call and um, so we have these notes that come across. Um, they tell us what's going on. Um, and then they do this screening, over phone screening. And um, basically, you think this person, is, or like, do they have a cough, fever? Um, are they complaining of any general weakness, pain, and stuff like that? And if it's a yes to any of those questions, we have to um, put on these PPE suits. And they're like full hazmat suits. Mm -hmm. um, so restricted mobility. It's hard to breathe in those masks. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because there it's a permanent seal. Um, so you're trying to get your point across to these people, and um, you know it's hard to breathe, it's hard to talk, and not only that, if I rip my suit, and you know it's con it's considered an exposure, a workplace yeah. exposure. So when that happens, I have to report it, and a whole bunch of steps take place. Um, I recently just got off of self isolation for two weeks. Okay. Um, which means I was exposed to a presumptive positive. Um, COVID-19 patient, um, you know, and not knowing if you have it or if you do have it, because um, there's no, no tests available right now. So we're kind of just guessing. And I live with roommates. Um, my partner, he lives with roommates. So it's like, well, I can't really do anything. I'm confined to my room. Right. And um, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if my patient is dead or alive. I don't know if they have it, if they don't have it. So you're, you're kind of restricted on um, what you can do when you get placed on self-isolation. Yeah, that's really scary. I couldn't imagine being in your position. Yeah, it's, it's, it's rough. It's rough. Yeah. It's definitely taking a toll. Definitely. But like I said, that's something that, like, it's not a job for everybody. So it's definitely, like, very commendable that you're able to do that. And even though I'm sure it's really stressful, like, putting yourself in a position where you don't know what you're going into, nobody else is going to do it. So the fact that you're so young and you're like already in this field, that's a really cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, okay. We have a couple questions for you, which you already saw. Okay. My first question is how do you stay calm during intensely high stress situations? Um, it's relying on your training. Um, so we go, for an EMT, it's about six months of training. Um, for an advanced EMT, it's another six months. And then for a paramedic, it's an additional two years. 
Um, so it's relying on you training. Um, I'm not going to lie, when I first got into this, I was all over the place. I, you know, scrambling to get, you know, items, things like that. But um, now with it, with a year on the job, um, it's looking at the facts, looking at the patient, um, looking at the patient's family, you know, because they're obviously going to be freaked out. So what you really have to do is, even though your heart rate is fast, you're breathing fast, you're sweating, you kind of just got to trick yourself into thinking that you're calm. Um, so that that's a big part of it. Um, knowing your equipment, um, knowing what to do, knowing how to do CPR, knowing how to bag somebody, breathe for them, essentially. That's that's the trick. If, you, if you're comfortable with your skills, you're comfortable with handling the patient. And, and the hardest part is probably talking to the patients, walking them through these procedures. Um, when you're doing an IV, we're just, it's going to be a little pinch or um, use this thing called CPAP. It's like sticking your head out of the window in a car driving 75 miles down mm -hmm. the freeway. It's scary. So it's kind of like, all right, if you're going to feel this rush of air, don't fight it. Just work with it. It's, it's going to do a lot of the work for you. Just breathe it in and, you know, just remain calm. Think of a happy place. Think of um, you're, on a, you're on an airplane if they like airplanes or you're on a cruise ship if they like cruises. So it's kind of relating to that patient um, and calming them down to calm yourself down. Because if you freak out, they freak out. And then in turn, you freak out even more. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's keeping your patient calm. So our next question is, what intrigued you to become a first responder? Um, so it started when I was really young. I wanted to be a Marine for the longest time since I was like six. I was like, I, I want to be a Marine. Um, so I, I have asthma. Um, so I was out of the option. Um, so at six, 16, I uh, went to Clark County Fire Explorers. And I was like, hey, I want to do your program. So I, I did that until uh, I was 18. And I was like, you know what? The fire department's not really for me. You know, fighting fires is cool and all that. Um, it'd be really fun, but I really like medicine. So I, when I turned 18, I went to CSN. I took my EMT course. And I was like, this is it. This is exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, so for that, it was just the, the sense of helping people, um, people who are thinking about committing suicide, who have tried to commit suicide, you know, your child who is really sick, it, it's helping them and alleviating their fears that really just turned me on to this career. And so how long did the schooling take you? What was that? How long was your um, school process at CSN? So schooling is six months. Um, so you go to the classes, it's a state approved class. And then after that, you have to go to the National Registry, which is National Registry for EMTs and paramedics. You take a test there, and it means you're nationally certified. So you're to the national competency level. Um, and then after that, you apply for whichever job you want. Um, and then through there, we have to take the state protocol exam, which um, basically says, I understand what I'm allowed and not allowed to do in my state. And then from there, with AMR, um, we do an internship. So it's 10 shifts, um, which is not really a long time. Yeah. It feels like a long time, but it's not. Um, so all in all, it's about two years. Okay. So you're 19 or 20 years old right now? I'm 19. So is there anybody younger than you, or are you like one of the youngest people working? 
I'm one of the youngest. That's I'm pretty cool. My partner's 23, so he's pretty young. But uh, he started like me, 18, got into this job, did fire just like I did, and then we both kind of fell in love with medicine. So do people, like, respect you the same way, being that there's, like, an age difference? No, they don't. Um, I get the sarcastic remarks, are you even old enough, um, things like that. Um, people also say, like, you're not touching me. I'm like, why not? Well, you look like you're 12. I'm like, okay, you know. Um, so there's definitely discrepancies, but the younger people, definitely, they tend to kind of respect me more. They're like, you're doing a job that, I wouldn't even think about doing it until I'm 30, 40 years old. Right. So, so you kind of have to, like, take it with a grain of salt because not, like, yeah. get, take it too literally from the, the older crowd, I guess. Yeah. You know, we, sometimes when we run on, like, 100-year-old people, it's kind of asking them for their advice to make them feel inclined, you know, like their right. opinion still matters. And then they respect you a lot more. And it allows you to work with them efficiently. So. Yeah. Next question. Okay, can you recall on a time where you learned from a mistake? Um, yeah. Um, so it was probably my 14th day on in a row, um, 12 hour shifts. And um, it was, yeah, I, we, we responded to a call and we got there and uh, I was kind of like, man, this is this bull crap. Like you're, you're wasting our time. Like seriously, dude. I just want to go home. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And uh, so we kind of wrote this off and um, we signed an AMA, which is against medical advice. And um, 20 minutes later, we get called out back out to the same place. I'm like, dude, are you freaking kidding me? Come on, man. Seriously, just let me go home. Like, I, I don't want to be here. Let me go home. And um, turns out, like, it was a diabetic problem. And uh, their sugar, when we initially checked, it was 70. And 20 minutes later, when we got there, it was uh, 23. Oh my God. So we're like, oh, that's like that's a big drop in 20 minutes. That takes a lot of insulin to drop your sugar by uh, that many points in such a little time. So uh, from there, we we're like, okay, you know, even though we're 14 days on, we can't we can't take these patients' complaints not seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, so now every patient, we do a full workup. We do AMA yeah that was that was stressful I was like my license is on the line like if this guy dies I'm responsible for it because I didn't do a full assessment dang so do you like you feel like you still have um like regrets about that or it's just more of like learn and move on um learn and move on if you if you take regrets in this career you're not gonna last we make a lot of mistakes we're we're clinicians we practice medicine so we have lapse in judgment, just like a doctor does, right. except they go to school for a lot longer than we do. Um, so like what I always tell people is we're, you know, when you go to the hospital, you have your nephrologist, your cardiologist, your pulmonologist, um, you know, your GI docs, your GPs. Um, and then us, you get that all in one. So we have to, we have a lot to think about. We don't have tests. We don't have lab values. Um, we have very, very basic rudimentary things to test you with, to, tell you whether or not to go to the hospital, which legally I have to re- recommend every patient goes to the hospital. First step to, you, I have to legally recommend you go to the hospital. Are you gonna die? No, mm-hmm. but I have to say it. Um, so we, we have a lot of things to consider in such a short amount of time. Right. We spend at most with patients an hour. 
So in an hour, we're consider we're covering your kidneys, your liver, your spleen, your heart, your lungs, your skin signs, your neurofunction. Like we're covering all that. Where the hospital, and, and with two people, so we have two people. Where the hospital has a team of twelve. Right. Yeah. You. So you're pretty much like the first entry, like the first impression, I guess, before they're gonna have whatever procedure they need done. So yeah, that's um, a lot of pressure. Yeah, it's it's not easy. If you miss one thing, it affects the entire outcome because what we tell the doctor is based off what they do. So like, let's say someone's having a stroke and they can't speak for themselves. All my impressions are going to the doctor. The doctor doesn't rely on anybody else. He relies on us, he or she relies on us. So if we miss something, then you know, it can delay patient care. It can have an adverse outcome on the patient. They can die. They can end up, you know, physically, mentally, or speech impaired. So, like, there's a lot of things riding on our shoulders. Yeah, for sure. That's very intense. Okay. So, there's so many questions I feel like I could ask, but we don't want to take up all your time. Okay. Next question is... um, what advice would you give to anyone who is interested in pursuing a career in emergency trauma? You gotta have thick skin. Yeah. yeah. Um, that'd be my my main one. Gotta have thick skin. You're gonna see some gruesome stuff. Like, the things I've seen compared to a normal 19 year old, two mm-hmm. different things. Yeah. Um, so you gotta have thick skin. You're also gonna get abused physically, verbally, mentally. Um, I've been assaulted by patients. You know, I've had oh patients God. pull knives out on me, pull guns on me. Um, so what you, you gotta have, happen? huh? What does that happen? Um, so when I had my first knife pulled on me, this guy, he was he was homeless. He just wanted to go to the hospital for food. I'm like, listen, dude, you're not going to the hospital. He's like, well, you have to take me. I said, no, I'm not taking you. You, you have no medical reason to go to the hospital. And he pulled the knife and he's like, put it up to my stomach. He's like, you're going to take me to the hospital. He's like, if not, I'm going to kill you right now. Oh my God. Um, And then I had another patient. I was probably three months on the job. Very, very new. And um, this guy was totally cool. Metro was on scene. Um, You know, he's acting cool. We're like, all right, dude, just come on. We'll take you to the hospital so you don't have to go to jail. And he's like, all right, cool. So as soon as Metro leaves, he, uh, tries to get out of restraints and um, he eventually breaks two of the restraints and it's just me and my partner and um, he's like hitting us, kicking us, um, trying to bite us, he spit on us. So it's it's a lot. Um, so if you don't have the thick skin, it's not for you. Yeah. You, gotta, you gotta deal with the good and the bad. Cause you'll have patients who yell at you for making a simple mistake. Um, you also get berated by your partner if you mess up also we joke around with each other so you screw up you're the running joke for for the day (laughs) so um yeah the the thick skin and then two is uh you gotta have good coping mechanisms you don't have good coping mechanisms or support system yeah um it, it you'll fizzle out really fast so what what are your coping mechanisms um i write yeah. You know, if it's a really tough day, I write them. I write what happened down, what my emotions were feeling, um, what I was feeling during that call. Other than that, I talk. I talk with my partner. 
I don't really talk to my family about it. I don't talk to Jordan about it or my mom. Right. They don't understand. You know, people feel sorry for you if you see these things. Yeah. And I don't want you to feel sorry for me because I asked for it. I started this career. Yeah. So, um, kind of just talk to the people that you associate with who are in the same career field. Um, like the bar, when we go to the bar after work, it's, uh, it's a really good place to cope, de-stress from the day. You've had a really tough day. People kind of just listen. They give you advice. Um, stuff like that. Yeah. Cool. I mean, not cool, but I mean, <laughs> it is cool. Kind of, it's dark in a way, but it's reality. It's very twisted. I'll tell you that. We yeah. have a twisted sense of humor. Um, like, uh, we did a cardiac arrest and, um, we worked them on scene, did 20 minutes of CPR and then called the doc. They're like, Hey doc, we're calling for termination of resuscitation orders. They're like, okay, go ahead and terminate. And um, we're sitting there waiting for a metro in the corner to arrive, and uh, you know we're we're cracking jokes, we're having fun, mm-hmm. and um, security's like, Dude, that that's kind of messed up. And we're like, I from an outside point of view, it is, but this is our daily lives. This is you know this is just another call. Right. Um, sad as it is, but you know, it's not like I didn't go home and I didn't think about it because right. I did, but. Um, in that moment, you don't you don't want to process those emotions. Right. Kind of just put them out. Yeah, and like you said, it's kind of the only way you can really continue to keep like doing that job, you know, without yeah. like letting all the emotions drain you. That that's a big part. The emotions is the big part. Yeah. Do you ever get overwhelmed? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, when there's a there's a lot of things going on. Um. You respond to a household and there's 40 people inside the house and you're trying to figure out what's going on um we had a guy who was unconscious unresponsive at a house party and there's 40 people and they're all scared that they're gonna get in trouble and um everybody's talking at once I, we're trying to do things and um you know eventually you just gotta either blow up or you kind of just disregard them but if you don't get the information you need what are you going to tell the hospital? You can't go to the hospital and go, I don't know what's going on. Because mm-hmm. then the nurses and the doctors yell at you. So it's, if you get overwhelmed, there's way to, ways to deal with it. Separate people, separate yourself, have somebody else like the fire department or Metro come in and take control, crowd control while we work. So like um, for, um, sorry, I cut you off. What were you going to say? For the situation with the, the homeless man, like, because you couldn't do anything, did you have to wait for Metro to come to, like... Yeah, so we... Sorry, I cut you off. No, that that was pretty much it. Um, so we call the Code 5, which which is basically an oh shit button. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm dead or I'm dying or I'm in, in the danger. danger of dying. And um, so we call the Code 5 and, um, you know, when, when there's a Code 5... Like everybody in the city responds. It goes out over our radios. You know, you get the little beep, and everybody knows that it's an emergency channel. Um, somebody's in danger. Uh, Metro responds. The fire department responds. Our supervisor responds. Um, two of our units respond. So you have a, a lot of personnel that respond. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a code five, Metro usually responds about 10 to 12 units to us. And that's a lot of officers. Yeah. 
and they come in guns blazing. They're ready to shoot somebody. Right. Um, so we call the code five and eventually Metro gets in there. Um, you know, they got, they have guns drawn, tasers drawn. Um, they kind of hold them down. One of our paramedics comes in and sedates him. Um, but all in all that, it felt like an eternity. It felt like hours until, you know, help came to our, to us. Cause just me and my partner holding down a six foot two, 220 pound guy. I mean, look, I'm, I'm tiny. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it felt like eternity and it felt like hours until help arrived. But when they got there, things moved very fast within 20 minutes, the guy sedated, just got a tube down his throat cause he sedated and stuff like that. So. Wow. That, yeah, that's a lot to deal with. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you that. All right, let's see what the next question is. So what would you say is the most rewarding part of your job and why? Um, so it's changed from when I first started out to now. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started, it was, you know, just talking to people. And then eventually you kind of get jaded. Um, kind of don't want to talk to your patients, especially when you've been working long hours, long days. Um, like the last call of the day, I'm like, come on, dude, let's just go to the hospital. Let's go. Mm-hmm. If you want to go, let's go. Um, but the most rewarding I would say is, uh, knowing you have an impact. Um, so like somebody who's in distress, like in cardiac arrest, they have a stroke or they're overdosing, um, seeing, seeing a positive outcome. Yeah. That's, that's probably the most rewarding. And, um, like little kids always love to make the little kids smile. Mm-hmm. So draw them little pictures, um, give them toys. Um, cause we carry some toys on our truck. So seeing them smile and light up while you're dealing with like their mother, their father, brother, sister, whatever, um, kind of distracting them from the situation. That's, that's really rewarding for me. Cool. What about the older population? Do you feel like it's kind of harder to, get them to like cheer up if they're not feeling well it just depends every they they all go through different experiences so some of them have some of them served in world war ii and they've seen a lot of gruesome stuff um whereas others you know they kind of lived a relatively normal life and so you got to relate to them you know? yeah. like the veterans i always talk about you know their time in there in the field in the service in the uniform and then other people live a relatively normal life. You kind of just, I always ask them, be like, so, you know, what did you do when you were younger? Mm-hmm. Kind of relate them back to me. So that way the conversation isn't like on what's going on. Right. And they usually respond pretty well to that. And sometimes they give you good advice or they tell you some crazy stories. I'm like, I had, a, had a, somebody who was about 96, moved out to Vegas when it was um, about five miles wide. He's lived here ever since. So he's, you know, I'm like, well, how did you deal with that? Being in a city that's five miles wide. He's like, honestly, it was a small town. And then just to watch it grow, he's like, it made me really happy. And he's like, this this is where I realized I want to spend the rest of my life. So that's cool. Yeah, that is cool. What makes you a great paramedic? Um, So I'm an EMT, but thank you for calling me paramedic. I appreciate (laughs) it. But uh, that's okay. It, they're synonymous. They're almost synonymous. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I'm comfortable with my skills. 
I, I know my truck, I know my jump bag. So um, like in decisive moments, I know if somebody needs something, I, I can do it. Um, that's what really feel like makes, makes me part of that team. You know, when somebody's like, hey, we need airway, I'm on it. You know, I'll drop an OPA, drop an IGEL, um, bag them. Um, hey, you know, we, we need chest compressions. All right, I'm on it. Or, um, hey, we need an IV setup. Cool, man, I got you. Set it up for them. Things like that. So, yeah, I was reading on, um, we, we have like this, it's some kind of like manual that explains some of the medical like um, jobs that we had to read for this project that we're doing and it was kind of explaining the differences between EMTs and paramedics and it said that like most or not most but like a good portion of the EMTs in Nevada are not paid is that is that true or um for my experience yes um you know in the big cities we have paid uh, so we have private companies. You in Reno, you have Remza, which is a regional emergency medical authority. Down here, you have AMR, MedQuest, Community, um, and then the fire departments. Of course, they're they're paid. Mm-hmm. Um, but you go out to um, like Nye County, and you get away from Pahrump, it's volunteer based. You go um, out to Indian Springs, it's volunteer. Um, you go out to Pioche, it's volunteer. Ely, volunteer. So a majority of our providers are not paid. So the paid ones are all in Las Vegas, pretty much? Las Vegas, Reno, Toronto, Boulder City. Okay. So the, what would you say like distinguishes you from a paramedic being that you are paid? Um, it would, the, the skill set, okay. the knowledge. They so, have um, more. Paramedics, they get a lot of pathophysiology. Um, whereas me, I get limited amounts of pathophysiology, um, and they can do innovations. Um, they can do, you know, chest tubes or not in some systems they can do chest tubes, but here they can't, um, they can do a needle crike, you know, um, whereas I can't, um, meds, the medications is a big one. Paramedic nationally has about 140 medications to their utilization. Whereas an EMT basic or advanced, an advanced has about 20 medications and a basic has about eight. Okay. Um, so it's, it's that skill set. Interesting. So are you basic or advanced? Um, I'm a basic right now. I'm going through the process of getting my advanced. Cool. So I'm taking a, a state test and um, then I'll take my protocol test and then I'll go on an internship. Cool. So do you think you want to end up doing paramedic? Yeah, my goal is a flight paramedic on a helicopter. Um, So they they do a lot of cool things on the flight paramedic side. Um, They have more medications. They have paralytics. Um, They also do a lot of different things that um, street paramedics don't. You you Mm -hmm. also see a lot of cool stuff. Um, You'll get patients who are in rhabdomyolysis, who are in acute renal failure that we don't see here um, because you know the transport time is so short we have no time to diagnose that in the field whereas a flight care paramedic they can spend hours with these patients um, a couple months ago we had a flight 
team come from Spain. Wow. And they were with the patient for 72 hours. Like you learn a lot about your patient in 72 hours. And um, some of the flight paramedics, they have labs available to them. They can take your blood, they can run it through a lab analyzer and figure out what's going on and stuff like that. Whereas on the streets, it's about 10 to 12 minutes to any hospital in the city. We don't have that. Yeah. So. I didn't even know that there was like a flight paramedic. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, they do flight doctors, flight nurses. Um, so like ours out here is Mercy Air. And um, they're, those guys usually started out on the streets like me and uh, eventually they went to flight. And uh, they, they respond to gnarly car accidents. They go to Ely for someone in having a heart attack. They fly out there and then fly back to the hospital. So. Wow. Oh, my last one would be, do you see yourself doing this for like the rest of your life? Yeah, I do. Um, the, obviously like the stressful situation that takes a toll. Um, in my first year I had two pediatric cardiac arrests and that's not easy. Mm -hmm. Um, a three year old and then a 13 year old who, um, we actually pronounced on scene, you know, and we don't like to do that. Um, and that's rough, you know, but, um, other than that, yeah, it's, it's very rewarding career. You drive lights and siren. That's, that's fun. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. Um, get to drive to call 75 miles an hour. Like who doesn't want to do that? So, um, other than that, yeah, it's, it's managing the stress long-term that would only impact me to uh, not do this anymore. It's like I said, two pediatric cardiac arrests. That's rough. That's, you know, some people go their entire career without running a single pediatric cardiac arrest. And, um, you know, like my first one, I wanted to cry right there. Like I saw them, they, they're dead, you know, mm -hmm. and I wanted to cry. And I was just like, I, I can't, I have to hold those emotions back. After that, I went home, I de-stressed and uh, took two days off and came back to work ready, as ready as I could be. So. I guess the hardest thing in that like moment is not blaming yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, like for both of them, um, to my knowledge, they both passed away. Um, so it's, uh, it's like, um, what could we have done different? You know, we always, my partner and I, um, cause we've been partners for about seven months now. So we have a really good working relationship. We're great friends outside of work. So, you know, we, we talk about it and we're like, well, what could we have done different? Um, you know, for the three year old. We didn't get innovation. We didn't get the uh, IOs, which drills into your bone, so we can give you medication. Um, we didn't get both of those. So we're like, you know, if we got those, we could have done so many more things. We could have pushed, you know, epinephrine, amiodarone. Um, the hospital could, could have put them on vasopressors. Without that, you know, there's nothing really you can do except chest compressions and breathing for them. So. Do you feel like when you talk about it with your partner, do you feel like you guys are like kind of criticizing yourselves or you're just, like you said earlier, you're just thinking about the future and learning from that mistake? It's learning from it. Okay. It's definitely learning from it because uh, 
we can always say, well, we, we should have done this. Well, you can't do it now. It's already in the past. So you take that and you move on from it. You let other people know, hey, this might work for your patient or this won't work for your patient. Um, like ketamine and Versed, that's a big thing in our field for sedation. Mm-hmm. Now, if you use too much ketamine, you might send them into the K-hole and they kind of just sit there spaced out. If you give them Versed, they might have an adverse reaction and stop breathing. Um, so it's being clinicians, practicing medicine, taking it, you know, one decision at a time to yeah. where, you know, eventually you're going to, I prefer this way because I've had XX and X work better for me than this. So Right. That's the only way you learn, I guess, is through those hard, bad experiences that you'd probably rather not have, but they're important to your growth. Yeah. Um, it's... And plus it's, you know, we, we have to attend so many education hours a year to keep our certification up to date. Mm-hmm. And um, so like you see a lot of different things, a lot of different places around the world in the country, they're doing different things than we are. Um, so you, you kind of just, if you don't learn, you're not progressing. Right. If you don't take everything as a learning opportunity, you're not progressing. Because the, the worst thing you can do in this field is get comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, you get comfortable, you get complacent, you make mistakes. Um, and that has an adverse reaction on people's lives, literally their lives. Um, they might not walk. They might not breathe for the rest of their life on their own. They might be dead. You know, that's the worst possible outcome, might be dead. Um, so if you don't, if you're not a good, good clinician and not interested in updating your medicine, then why, like, why are you even in this field? you're not doing the best for your patient so the biggest thing is being a good uh, clinician learning and then um, being a patient advocate if you're not a patient advocate um, you're not you're not doing your job you know like like I said legally I have to recommend somebody to go to the hospital or can you drive to the hospital on your own or do you need a $1,200 ambulance <laughs> right you know um, so it's being a patient advocate. Um, sometimes when a patient is drunk and Metro wants to send them to the hospital, all right, we're good guys, you can go ahead and get out of here. And then uh, Metro leaves, do you have a hotel room? Yeah, all right, we're going to the hotel room. I'm not giving you a $1,200 ambulance bill and then a $4,000 ER bill because you're drunk. I'm not yeah. doing that. You know, I couldn't, I work for the company and I couldn't afford that. Right, for sure. So. Um, a lay person couldn't afford that. Yeah. So. So does like when you kind of have to do that and look out for the patient, um, and maybe go against what Metro would suggest. Do you think Metro has like an idea that you're not going to take them to the hospital? Or. Uh, yeah, yeah, they do. Um, last night was a good example. Some some homeless dude was walking across the street, jaywalking. Metro pulled him over, and. Um, you know, he was high on meth, um, smoked weed, he was drunk too, and had a lot of alcohol. Metro's like, I think you should go to the hospital. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, negative. You do, you're high. No. They're not going to do anything to counteract that. Right. They're going to let you ride it out. Um, and Metro's like, really? I'm like, yeah, dude, they're not doing anything for him. They're going to put him in a hallway and watch him. That's all they're going to do. Mm-hmm. 
He's like, do you guys have water? Um, the homeless man. He's like, do you guys have water? I'm like, I do have water. Um, I have a blanket and I have a heat pack for you. Does that work for you? He's like, yeah, it works for me. All right, man. Get out of here. Yeah. You know, especially during this time period, we don't want to um, tax our healthcare system. Right. You know, we only have so many ventilators. We only have so many ICU beds. So if we keep bringing these people to a hospital, our doctors are going to get overwhelmed. Our nurses are going to get overwhelmed. They're going to discharge these very, very sick people. And then, you know, we have to deal with it in, in turn. So, cause now that they're discharged, cause they weren't critical enough. Um, now they're dead and now we're working a cardiac arrest. So if we work to mitigate the effects of, you know, our very large homeless population, our very large financially lesser people, mm-hmm. then we can work to improve our healthcare system. And that's about educating. We educate Metro, we educate the fire department, because um, they're medics, they, but they don't transport right. like we do. So they get on scene and they, they force patients to go. I'm like, listen, you know, you don't need to go to a hospital. Um, some lady was having an anxiety attack and her blood pressure is like 170 over 110. It's high. Um, don't get me wrong, but the fire department's like, you could have a stroke and die. I'm like, whoa, hey, don't, don't say that. Yeah. Like, don't say that. Um, and then the very next call, this 19 year old kid was at, uh, life is beautiful and took some acid and he's tripping out and the fire department's like, if you don't go, we're calling the cops. I'm like, get out of it. Just go go you're not calling the cops absolutely not for a 19 year old kid who's just having fun absolutely not yeah so it's about educating them educating our patients so and if we mess up it comes back on us we get sued right um like the first pediatric cardiac arrest that i ran we're getting sued for that you know um and like i don't want to relive that Right. But at the same time, you know, it's a lot of liability on us because if we do something wrong, well, it can be a malpractice lawsuit. And those are very costly, very time consuming. So it's kind of like, I'm, and you know, like, what are you going to sue me for? My three cents in my bank account? Right. Like, <laughs> so um, it's, it's so. not personally towards you though. It's the whole company. No. Um, so we carry our own licenses. Okay. So we're licensed under one doctor. One doctor's like, I'm advocating for all of you to practice medicine. So if we mess up and uh, we mess up bad, the company's gonna go negative. We, we're not backing you on this. This is all you. Um, whereas if we do everything correctly, the company would be like, okay, we're gonna back you. Right. So if we do something wrong and it, uh, the company's like, yeah, that's that's a pretty big mistake. They're not going to support us. They're not going to hire the lawyers. Um, we have to hire our own personal lawyers and stuff like that. And then we face jail time. You know, we kidnap somebody because um, there there are times where you kind of just have to tell patients, "I'm taking you to the hospital." No, you're not. I'm kidnapping you. Yes, you're going to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas other times, you know, let's say we do an IV and a patient doesn't want it. That's assault and battery. I could face jail time for that. Wow. So, and there's a lot of, a lot, a lot of responsibility that rides on our shoulders that 
you know, obviously we have ways to get around that. Yeah. Loopholes and everything like that. Creative charting is what I like to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, when we type up our documents, we just narrate it a different way to make it sound better. Right. But, um, you know, if you don't narrate it that way or you don't include something that actually happened, it's, you can get prison, jail, you can lose your job, your license, you can be barred from practicing medicine. Yeah. Wow. That's really, there's just so many things that I like didn't even think of. It's very interesting to me. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot, but again, it's enjoyable. I enjoy it. I enjoy who I work with. Um, I enjoy the patients. I enjoy, you know, the gruesome car scenes. I, I know it sounds twisted, but you know, you see cool stuff like that. Yeah. And I mean, it takes a certain person to actually enjoy that. And if you don't enjoy it, then there would be no purpose in you doing it. <laughs> I could not that, do it. I don't know. It's not a job for everyone, I'll tell you that. But, yeah. Um, you know, people who are slightly interested, I think, do it. So you see something you don't like. True. You know, what, what, what harm is going to come out of it? You're going to get some enjoyment out of it. A little. Um, like, we had an intern. So we have interns on our truck. Mm-hmm. And um, day three... They, uh, they saw a lot of stuff, you know, they saw a trauma code, um, they saw, you know, somebody's flesh coming out of their legs, like the mm. adipose tissue just flying everywhere every time you did chest compressions. Oh, gosh. Um, then they saw somebody who was overdosed on alcohol and, and opiates, and they died. Um, they had a stroke, somebody had a brain bleed. And um, like, that's a lot to process yeah. for three days on the job. And she's like, this isn't for me. I'm like, okay. You know? And um, she's like, yeah, I thought I wanted this, but this isn't what I wanted. Yeah. So, it sounds like a whole episode of Grey's Anatomy. It, sometimes it is like that. Some, sometimes it really is. Um, speaking of, I was just watching that before uh-huh. we got on this call. Really? Yeah, I, I love Grey's Anatomy. They do some things wrong, but I absolutely love <laughs> That's um, funny. Like, uh, you know, or when I watch live PD, absolutely yeah. love that. Um, and I, I know I shouldn't immerse myself in this culture, but you know, it's, it's a good culture. It's exciting. It's every call is different. You know, people are like, well, you know, aren't calls all the same? And it's, they might have the same complaint, but they're completely different. They might live in a you know, really bad neighborhood or a really good neighborhood. They might, you know, be a hoarder or they might be homeless. They might live in an extravagant mansion. Um, and other times, you know, they're just unfortunate. Whereas some people, you know, they s- scrape by on pure luck. Yeah. Um, like we had somebody whose car got crushed by a semi-trailer. Semi-trailer oh tipped over and crushed a car and they walked away with nothing, absolutely nothing. That's insane. Wow. Yeah, so it's like, you're really lucky, dude. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, that that car, that semi-trailer could have killed you. Yeah. That 60,000-pound trailer could have easily killed you, and somehow you walked away unscathed. Wow. So it just kind of makes you more thankful, too, like when you see all these tragic situations, or even if they don't end up tragic like that one. I bet it, like, kind of changes your perspective on everything. 
Uh, yeah, um, it's radical difference um, in point of views from when I first started to now a year on the job. A complete 180. I you know when I first started this job, I was like, do everything for me if I die. You know, put me on a ventilator. You know, do extraordinary measures. Now I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't want that. You know, because I see these people who live like that that are on a ventilator for the rest of their life. I'm like, I, you know, you just sit there staring at the, staring at the sink for a while. I don't want that for me. Right. Um, and also it's kind of like, you know, I have four days off of work. I'm going to go camping instead of, you know, worrying about bills or worrying about the groceries. No, I'm going to, I'm going to go camping or I'm going to go to Disneyland. You know, and people are like, well, you spent a lot of money. I did spend a lot of money <laughs> and I'm hurting for it, but it's worth it. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to miss out on those experiences because at least these other people do. Right. These worlds who are like, yeah, I haven't left my house in 20 years. Why? No, yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah. It's quality of life that you kind of learn to appreciate and understand. Yeah. Um, all the things that we take for granted, you know, like we have cars, um, right. you know, we have a nice house, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, if not still a house some people don't even have any of that and they're struggling to buy you know a dollar slim gym at 7-eleven to eat for the day yeah so it definitely makes me appreciative for what i have and then for my job security you're always going to need 911. true <laughs> so and plus there's really cool opportunities like um i can get deployed for hurricanes um mm-hmm. So I'm on a specialized team, the emergency response team, and, you know, big tornado, big hurricane, earthquakes, things like that. If FEMA gets activated, like in New York City, how FEMA got activated, um, I can get deployed for things like that. Um, LA, I'm pretty sure they're about to activate FEMA, which means I'll be placed on standby. I'll probably get deployed and I'll spend minimum, it's a minimum 21 day deployment um, or Minimum 21, and then um, maximum of six months. Oh. So, you know, you can spend a lot of time away from your family. Six months is a long time. You know, it's birthdays, holidays, yeah. things like that. But, you know, it's rewarding. You get a different, you unique perspective of medicine. Definitely. So, yeah. yeah, it's kind of like thrill-seeking, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Know, oh, I, I would lie if I... Um, didn't say I was an adrenaline junkie. I absolutely, the adrenaline, you know, because we can go from sitting and doing nothing for five hours to, you know, um, somebody who's overdosed, you know, and it just dumps out adrenaline. You get a, a complete adrenaline jump. Your heart rate goes up, you start breathing fast, you sweat, you know, um, you're driving lights and sirens 75 miles an hour to the call in traffic weaving in and out of traffic running red lights so yeah it's it's definitely like when i do um when i go rock climbing or you know i go cliff jumping i'm like this is not the same like Mm -hmm. i used to get adrenaline out of this but now i'm like this is nothing yeah so the adrenaline jump is probably the most enjoyable part for me like personally um disregarding like other people and self-satisfaction yeah it's the adrenaline jump that's that's what I that's what I enjoy. Yeah, keeps you young. <laughs> it it Even does. You're already young. <laughs> um, it's 
yeah, I couldn't imagine doing something else. That's really cool. Well, thank you so much for taking this time. Here at UNLV, we are groundbreakers, paving new ground through our pursuits while staying safe and making our mark on the world.